So Psalm 102, and then Isaiah chapter 53. I think one of the things that we as a congregation need to face again and again is the fact that our image, what I mean by that is who we think Jesus is and how He acts may not correspond with what the Scripture has to say. And what we've been learning with an emphasis, and the Lord keeps bringing our church back to this emphasis on a pretty periodic basis, I would say probably every at least every nine months or so, is to consider the fact that our Lord was a man of sorrows. The King James says he was acquainted with grief. The word acquainted there in the Hebrew means he knew grief experientially. He knew the depths of it. He knew the depths of the sorrows of this life. And you can imagine that you and I, living in this dark world that we live in, we get sometimes righteously, sometimes unrighteously angry at the ways of the world. Sometimes we get righteously or unrighteously angry at the ways of fellow professing, believing people. And folks, you can imagine how someone who is pure and sinless and perfect, who saw things as they really were, the depths of the grief and the sorrow that he would experience just in that particular arena. And I think that we hesitate to look at things like this because of what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 53. Note in verse 3, it says that Christ was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, now note this, and like one from whom men hide their face. Like one from whom men hide their face. What type of people do you hide your face from? Well, you hide your face from people that are in such dire situations that it is repulsive to you. To the place where you would actually despise the one that you would look upon and that you would actually abandon him. Now, the reason why people didn't abandon him was because he gifted them with healing. And food, right? That overcomes. People People desire those things and it overcomes their reluctance to go. But here Isaiah says that in general, we, we hid our face from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. We did not count him with any type of honor. 
And that's really what we're looking at in Psalm 102. We're looking at a psalm that is really written for this age of the church. It's written for us who have a more fuller understanding on who the afflicted one is in Psalm 102. That afflicted one is none other than the incarnate Son. And again, we know that because of what book? Hebrews chapter 1, where the writer of Hebrews under inspiration says that verses 25 through verse 27 in this psalm is Yahweh, or God the Father, addressing the incarnate Son. So the afflicted one is the incarnate Son. And what we've learned, I'm just pulling a couple of highlights here to emphasize, is that in verse 23, we have seen, and we will see again, that the incarnate Son walked in the way of God, and God's response to Him walking in that way was to weaken Him. It says, verse 23, he has weakened my strength in the what? In the way. Now that's not what we would think, right? But reading our New Testament, we do understand that. Because when we are weak, He is strong. And so the radiance of God's might, God's power, God's strength, was seen in the incarnate Son when as a man he grew weaker and weaker and God's power was more and more in his life. And we have the incarnate Son walking in this way, the way of God, regardless of how it looked from the outside. If you would look on his life from the outside, he wasn't wealthy, was he? He wasn't a great athlete, was he? He wasn't a star in the religious realm. But he was the perfect man. He was the model man in many respects. But most importantly, he was the God-man. To look at Him was to see who? <coughs> to see God. So if you want to know what God is like, we look at the Son of God. But from the outside, it looked like God disapproved Him. And Isaiah words it very explicitly. We esteemed Him smitten, stricken of who? Of God. That's how that nation looked at him. But Jesus' response, Christ's response to these circumstances that looked like God was judging him from the outside, his response was prayer. And so let's begin reading in Psalm 102, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 7. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. 
Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call, answer me quickly. For my days have been consumed in smoke and my bones have been scorched like a hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I become like an owl of waste places. I lie awake. I become like a lonely bird on a housetop. This is our Lord describing His circumstances. And yet He was fixed, was He not? He was steadfast. He's going to walk in the way of the Lord. And folks, we're going to have things come into our lives that your flesh is immediately going to tell you that it's God judging you. That this is God's condemnation to you. That something's wrong. But something's not wrong. God's doing something in your life that though it make you weaker in your own mind and in your own heart, it really is an opportunity for you to see and for others to see the power of God in your life. Do we all understand that? Because otherwise, if we don't see it that way, what we do is take credit for it. We attribute it to human character. We attribute it to certain disciplines. We attribute it to how I do things on a structured schedule. We do it by imagining that God blessed me because I have a certain standard of living that's holy. We are quick to take credit, aren't we? And folks, the only way, if you say, oh God, I want my life to glorify you. Alright, that's great. That's scriptural. That's a desire from heaven. But for that to happen, God must be glorified and you not take any credit for it. And Jesus walked in that way, didn't He? This is His footsteps. And folks, Paul says that we as believers, to some measure and to some degree, we will in our days under the vanity of this Son, we will be conformed unto His death. Does everybody hear that? Paul says all these things that I might know the power of God being conformed unto His death. We don't seek it. We don't court it. We don't ask for it. We give thankfulness for the days of pleasantness and the days of peace and the days of camaraderie. But when the season comes, we're to understand that it's for the express purpose of us being made conformable unto His death. Easy words to preach. Easy words to nod your head to. 
until it enters into your life. This is being conformed into His image. Now we learned last Wednesday in Psalm 102, we looked at one passage, verse 3, and we learned that the afflicted one, the incarnate Son, is going to describe His present condition from the viewpoint of His human body. He's going to describe His body as a reason for God to answer Him without delay. And what we learn in verse 3 is this. The afflicted one describes his condition, his days, in terms, do you remember? In terms of a what kind of offering? A burnt offering. You ought to have that written out beside verse 3. Or you'll forget it when you read through your Bible. How do we know that? Verse 3, My days, not day, days. My days have been consumed in smoke. Well folks, where, where does smoke come from? It comes from burning, right? When you burn something, you get smoke. So his days have been consumed in smoke, and then we learn in verse 3, my bones have been scorched. The Hebrew word there means to be burned up. My bones have been burned up like like a hearth. And we looked in our Bibles to find out that that word has two significant meanings. It can mean a place where one has a fire for cooking. It is used that way in our Bibles. But in Leviticus and in Exodus, that word as translated hearth is actually used for the top of the altar where the burnt offering was burned. So what our Lord is describing is this. My days are like a burnt offering. I'm being burned up. And the smoke of that burning characterizes my days. Everybody see that? You need to write something there to cue you in that that's what that verse is talking about. And what we walked away is this. That this is what a sacrificial life looks like in the life of the incarnate Son. That His entire life was a living what? Sacrifice that culminated in the total giving of His life on our behalf. From the day He was born, at His incarnation, His days were like smoke, and the closer He got, the more burning or heat came of that burnt offering until it culminated at the cross. 
And of course, the book of Hebrews brings this out when it talks about <clears throat> that in His days of His flesh, He offered up prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the One that would save Him from death. Folks, that's His life. And if we draw back from looking at it because that type of life is repulsive to us, that that type of life is really what we despise, then we are working against the way of God. Do we see that? If we preach Romans 12, 1 and 2, be a living sacrifice, amen? Do we have an example of that? Yes. Psalm 102, verse 3, in the incarnate Son. Now, His life was the ultimate giving of the burnt offering. In our lives as believers, it comes to us in measure. And I, for one, am thankful for that. I'm thankful that the Lord promises that nothing enters into this fence, this hedge that He has around my life, except it be permitted by Him. And He does give grace, doesn't He? What does a living sacrifice do in times of severe affliction? a living sacrifice prays. And folks, it prays for deliverance. There's nothing wrong with praying for deliverance. If you're praying for the right kind of deliverance. If you're praying, oh Lord, deliver me from being a living sacrifice, He won't answer that. But if you're praying for a deliverance that glorifies God and for Him to do it without delay in order to prolong your days before His face, He answers that. And we'll see that as we go through this psalm. Now folks, verses 4 and 5 give us another set of bodily conditions in which he is describing his present situation. We look at verses 4 and 5, you will see, My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread. Because of the loudness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. If we're going to put something very simple here for us to remember, it would be this the afflictions that came into his life struck him at the very heart of his being. It struck him in the very depths of his soul. Now brethren, I think that is instructive for us. Things that strike us in the heart hurt. Do they not? They hurt. 
we kind of think of the Savior, yes, he had all these afflictions, but, you know, it just didn't move him as a man much at all. You know, he's God, and so he, he's not hurting. This isn't striking him at the core of his being. It's not coming at him with any kind of potential of shaking him. Folks, the onslaught of hell was severe in his life. And it struck him to the core. Just like the heat of the day and the dryness of no water slays the grass of the field, so the afflicted one's strength gradually faded away in his life. You'll see that. My heart has been smitten like what? And it withered. Folks, grass, this isn't, if I could word it this way, this isn't a brush fire just coming in in a moment and just burning everything to the ground. This is the heat of the day. The oppression of the day. The affliction of the day that kept wearing and kept wearing and kept wearing and kept wearing on him. And it affected his body to where his bodily condition was just like that. And folks, you and I know what it is because we are very weak indeed. We know what it is to have severe stress in our life. And, and I'm going to tell you from both experience in dealing with people and both experience with myself, we don't like that. The world is bombarding us and telling us stress is bad, stress is bad, stress is bad. And we say, yeah, stress is bad, but we forget that the greater the stress, the greater the grace to sustain We're not lost. We are born-again people. God is working inside of us. But it was this gradual, it was the striking and the striking and the striking and the striking, not like an instantaneous fire, but a progressive inner fainting. Now folks, that inner fainting that struck his heart expressed itself when it says in verse 4, indeed, look at this, I forget to eat my bread. I've often thought that it's interesting in America that one of the things that we do after, immediately after a funeral, is we feed people. And I've not been in that situation like I've lost my wife or I've lost one of my own children or something tragic like that very near to me has occurred. But I have wondered if the one who has lost this loved one, if they really do want to eat at that moment. Why would I say that? Because the grief is so much. 
When there is a severe grief, it will, could I word it this way? It will take away your appetite. And in this case, it was so severe that he just forgot. And you can, you can think through his ministry and think about the crowds that were just swamping him all the time where he didn't even have time to what? He didn't have time to eat. And folks, you know dealing with people can be very oppressive. In fact, this happens so frequently, verse 5, that the groaning of his afflictions caused his bones to cling to his flesh. Now this is a very, very interesting passage to me. And the reason why it's interesting to me is the way it's worded. It's worded this way, my bones cling to my flesh. Do you find that strange? I found it strange when I read it. Why? Well, this is what I would have expected if I was writing it today. I would have expected something like this. Because of the loudness of his groanings, he's all skin and bones. Doesn't say that, does it? Or, as it's written in other places, when Jesus was on the cross, the prophecy says... You could count all his what? All his bones. In other words, I would have worded it this way because of the loudness of my groaning, my flesh clings to my bones. Right? Because I'm looking from the outside, right? But it doesn't say that. It says the exact opposite. And folks, this is speculation for me, but I speculate that the reason why it's worded that way is because of what's written in the first half of verse 5. Because of the loudness of my groaning. I take this to mean that his groaning was so severe that it actually caused a heaving of breath. You know, you know, really oppressive. A heaving of breath so that the deep groaning that occurred forced his bones outward because of that groaning. And when the bones, folks, if the bones are forced outward, then you would word it this way, right? My bones cling to my flesh, not the flesh clinging to my what? To my bones. And I think he's communicating to us the severity and the expression of that affliction which is causing that groaning in prayer before the Lord. To me, that's amazing. Can you imagine our Lord being like that all the days of this flesh? Can you imagine Him going off by Himself at a stone's throw and 
actually witnessing some something of this type of praying? You think in the Garden of Gethsemane that it was severe? It was severe. You wonder what he was doing when he went off in the middle of the night and left the disciples sleeping and he went off to pray and the disciples would wake up and say, where is he? Where is he? And they would search and there he was. Coming back from a time with his father. This is the picture of a man severely afflicted, isn't it? And folks, lastly, verses 6 and 7, he actually describes his condition in the terms of three animals. You got translated in verse 6, pelican. You got verse 6, owl. And in verse 7, it's translated bird. Everybody see that? He's describing his condition in the terms of these three animals. Now, I'm not sure what a pelican of the wilderness looks like. Do you? I don't know. And I'm not sure what an owl in waste places, desolated places, looks like. I actually typed into Google, owl, desolate places. <laughs> Somebody else had asked that question. Nothing came up. But that doesn't mean it's not communicating something to us. Folks, the owl and the pelican were unclean animals under the Mosaic Law. It was forbidden for Israelites in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 17 and 18 it was forbidden for them to eat an owl or a pelican because they were unclean before the Lord. He's like an unclean animal. Is he unclean? No. But he's like, he's considered like an unclean animal. The word bird here is just the generic word for bird. But the important word here is the word lonely. It's actually the word solitary. You got a solitary bird on a housetop, and folks, usually when you see a solitary bird on a housetop, they're usually chirping or making some kind of noise, right? But there's no other birds there to comfort him. And folks, what we see here is this he has become like these animals in this sense. He experiences. Loneliness and desolation all his days. <clears throat> and of course, on the cross, they all what? They all forsook him. 
And you remember in the upper room, He tells them, you're going to forsake Me, but I'm not alone. Well, who's with you? Father is with you. Folks, can I just say this? It's not a sin to feel lonely. It's how you deal with it. It's not a sin to feel desolated. It's how you deal with it. His circumstances and His afflictions indicated to other people that He had been abandoned to die like an unclean animal in desolation. Now I want to ask you this question. Do you love this man? Do you love this type of man? This is our Savior. Do we hear that? He's not the American Superman. He is despised and afflicted. He is considered smitten by God in judgment. He's considered as something unclean. He knew what loneliness was. And folks, you can feel lonely in the midst of a hundred people. And I want to say to you, brethren, it's okay if you feel that way. But do what He did with it. What did He do with it? Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry for help come to You. I'm lonely like a solitary bird on a housetop. Don't hide your face from me. In the day of my distress, incline your ear to me. In the day when I call, answer me without delay. Do you hear what he's doing? And folks, that's what we have to do. The church in America may be coming into a season of desolation in our nation. It's becoming harder and harder to find a New Testament congregation in our nation. False churches seem to be springing up everywhere. False teachers, some deliberately, some insincere, some sincere, but still false teaching, it's everywhere. And the church of Christ is going to begin to feel, and we're already feeling, right? We're feeling very lonely in our nation. We're looking around and we're seeing churches being desolated. We're seeing a society that considers us unclean. 
We're not going to go to that type of church. We're going to hide our face from that type of church. What should be the church's response? Prayer. And stay in the way. Keep walking in the way. Because God will not forsake His people. He will strengthen us. Though we may be struck to the heart, though there may be multiple tears in our prayer meetings, He will sustain us. Because He is good. And because we know He sustained His Son, didn't He? Did He extend His days? He's at the right hand of God. How long? That's a long extension of days, isn't it? That's my kind of extension. And it's your kind of extension too. Let's go to our Lord in prayer.